now see I opened the social network and now the laptop's fan kicks on uh yeah oh, see there goes the recording oh boy Matt's on Facebook Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Is this is this this is you? This is Jody. This is Jody. Okay. Well, I'm Matt. And you're still Matt. I'm still Matt. And um, I guess we're on the podcast. I'm on the right podcast. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are on the podcast. Yeah. So um, it's been a little while, but we're finally getting around to episode number sixty-two. Number sixty-two. Yeah. 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 I feel like we've kind of forgotten how to do this. Um, we have at least I mostly. Have. Uh, but, um, you know what the hardest part of doing this is, is the actual doing part, you know? Is that a stupid, yeah. is that a silly thing to say? <sighs> I think it's one of the original AOYT mantras that it's, it's, it's harder to do something than nothing. <laughs> okay. Right? That's kind of our motto. Yeah. Doing things is, doing things is hard. But, um, here we are. So how, so how are you? It's been a while since we've talked. It's been a long time. Um, I've I've gotten lots of fun pictures from you over the summer. We'll t- we'll we'll talk about that. Oh right, right, right. Um, I finally have my uh, my nanny is back from her some semester abroad. Oh yeah, where, where was was it Italy or? Yep, okay. all over Italy. All over Italy. Yeah, we um, hmm. yeah. My my partner and I have been talking about a uh, a Europe trip which we're going to try to do around the holidays this this year so we've um, we haven't booked anything yet uh, but uh, Italy was early, early on Italy was on the um, was in the mix but I'm not sure if we're going to get to Italy or not now it looks like we may stay in Spain instead huh I hear Spain is nice. Yeah, we're very re- very reasonably priced. I, hmm. I, I remember the food uh, for the the food and wine uh, was incredibly reasonable, as I recall. Um, the last time we were there, we I, I was just in um, I was in Barcelona and I was in uh, Madrid, but um, not not really anywhere else, no nowhere rural. So this time we're 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 thinking of doing. Um, place called I guess it's um, Mirabel or Mirabella in Spain it's it's uh, it's on the like Spanish Riviera so near oh, the med cool uh, a little bit more, um, more rural listener the Don might have some uh, some good suggestions for you hmm. I think it was just last summer that he was over there cool yeah definitely open to uh, suggestions we we were thinking about maybe um, doing a ferry to Morocco, which you can do from there. Oh, cool. Maybe check out, um, I mean, Casablanca's a bit far, but, you know, we can, we can just pop into Morocco at a, like a day trip, check out a bazaar or whatever, and, and then, you know, pop back. <laughs> um, we're, we're looking into it anyway. We, we hear this is a thing that you can do, and that people, people <laughs> on the internet say it's fun, so, um, All right. we, we may or may not do that, but. Well, now that we have proper babysitting again, we are. My partner and I are actually considering going all way up there to uh, Saint Augustine. Oh yeah. It's probably probably as far away as we can get at the moment. Saint Augustine can be nice. What what would you do there? Just uh, just just the two of you, a little getaway. 
Yeah, a little getaway. Walk around. Sure. You know, look at the fort. Yep. Uh, find the weird old streets. Look at art. A lot of art galleries, as I recall. Yeah, that's true. They do have an art, art scene there. Yeah. Go take the uh, Flagler College tour. <laughs> I, that's always fun. You weren't on that trip with... Uh, with uh, <laughs> now it was um, the, a non-listening friend of the show uh, <laughs> who uh, he and, and I and um, our girlfriends at the time had a very memorable uh, St. Augustine trip where we uh, stayed at the Pirate Hostel and uh, we, we dressed up in costumes and went on a ghost tour because uh, <laughs> it was Halloween. <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, that was a no. That was a fun trip. I, as I recall, I was dressed as a ninja. Oh, good, good segue into our uh, versus the pirates. Right. Yeah. So he was dressed as a pirate, and I was dressed as a ninja. And I remember on the tour, on the the, the ghost tour, there was this uh, this very like Larry the Cable Guy kind of character who who was along, and and for some reason I made him very nervous. And he kept saying things like, I see you, ninja man. I see you over there. Don't be sneaking up on me, ninja man. Uh, so I, <laughs> it was very amusing, as I recall. I had um, foam-throwing stars to entertain myself. But uh, yeah, so St. Augustine. <laughs> that's, that's my main memory of St. Augustine. <sighs> Talking of ninjas, the um, you know one of my, my favorite uh, events on the calendar is coming up again. The uh, this will be the fourth annual Christina Carter Old Seminole Heights Bicycle Pub Crawl. Do you uh, you you think you'll be in attendance this year? Uh, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, our, our our good friend uh, Pat from the uh, forthcoming podcast, he uh, <laughs> designed a a shirt uh, which I've already. Ordered through Cafe Press for this year's uh, for this year's festivities. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's it's excellent. Yeah, I looked at the um, the lineup as listed on the uh, on the, the the Big Blue social network. Is I guess it's nine locations, but it doesn't include the the Legion. I really think we should get the Legion back on there. I think this has to be discussed before um, before we get too much closer. Yeah, is it all the? It'll be all the way at the end, though, right? The Legion? Yeah, it would be yeah. near the end. That would be like the penultimate stop, probably before you head down uh, Sly Avenue to the end of the world. Yeah, I think last year uh, I rode in your basket on your bicycle as part of this. Uh, That's right. This pub I don't, crawl. I don't think you were very comfortable in the basket. Oh no, it was it was not at all comfortable. Yeah. But um, I, I will be I will be rocking the tricycle again. Um, I was gonna try to add wings to it. Like oh. Get a little more art bike, uh, art bikey, with it. Okay. So I was, th- I was gonna. My goal is to put big styrofoam wings on it that um, that move up and down, and like alternating, you know, left wing, right wing, left wing, right wing as I ride. So, so okay. I have a I have a picture in my head of um, how I'm going to attach them and how I'm going to do this, but I don't know how well it'll actually work out in practice when I. <laughs> Try to actually construct <laughs> this apparatus, but uh, you did a good job with the LEDs last year. Yeah, that looked awesome. Um, most of them still work. I tested them at the shop the other day. Um, most of them still work, 
but uh, some of them will need replacing. So yeah, I definitely have some, some tricycle uh, upgrades and maintenance to do before the pub crawl. Well, I'm uh, happy to hear that you're planning to attend. <laughs> uh... It is the 8th of October. So, for any uh, any any listeners who um, like riding bicycles and um, crawling to pubs, I don't know. Is this a is this an open event? I suppose it is, right? Like anybody can come on this thing. Yeah, it's 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 public, you yeah. know. It's, it's it's hard to miss us once we're out there. <laughs> um, but I don't think we've ever really had any uh, complete randoms turn up, you know. No. In mid crawl. No, no, I guess not. We always try to recruit. <laughs> but uh, anyway, if any if any listeners are uh, are free on the eighth of October and have a bicycle, preferably with 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 elaborate lighting, um, <laughs> they should join us right around uh, right around Seminole Heights. Anyway, close. Fins, lights, and throwing stars. Yes, all approved. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. So. You're uh you're in a new school year? Yeah. Uh it's going okay. Um I don't know. My, the students are all right, I guess. Uh I'm using the uh for the first time in my class, I'm using the online homework system from Pearson called Mastering Physics. I don't know. Did you have to use that in college? I've never used that. Okay. Um, it's been around a long time. I'm not time. sure if I've ever used a Pearson product. In my storied physics career, <laughs> I did. I like. I appreciated the picture you said of your uh, QM uh, notes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, spent... Well, that was the that was the only thing I could uh, I could send back at you after all of your wonderful pictures from your summer. My photo photo essay. Your, my photo series. Your summer experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, should we should we get yeah, into that? Sure. Um, the as regular listeners will know, um, I. I participated in the RET program at the National High Magnetic Field Lab in Tallahassee over the summer. I was there basically all summer. The summer was a little bit short because of changes they've made to the school calendar. Um, much appreciated changes in the long run. They've, they've moved the, the end of the first semester back to in front of winter break. So now we'll take our – the students will take their uh, – semester one exams before going to winter break instead of a week after yeah, that's coming nice. back. It, yeah, which is the way it used to be and the way it should be, but uh, I guess the rationale for, for pushing the start date, uh, it was all about, you know, pushing the start of school back so that adults, um, not children, benefited, I guess, from the starting of summer, um, starting it a bit later, uh, but uh the kids for sure suffered. I mean, there was a a, a very perceptible, you know, an obvious drop off in their exam performance. But anyway, it's going back to the old way. So um, the summer was only seven weeks long, and I spent six of them at the Mag Lab in Tallahassee. And while I was there, um, I made it a, kind of a game of every time I saw a whiteboard with um, with typically physics related. Uh, scribbling all over it, I would take a picture of it and send it to Jody. So I don't know how many there were. Felt like a lot. <laughs> it seemed like Yeah, I'm not sure how many there were total. I I was getting them pretty steady, fast and steady for a while. I was like, well geez, are you just, you know, going on Easter eggs hunt for, hunting for these things? 
Well, um, I mean, I, w- I quite, I quite liked it. You, just, you know, they, you look at their diag, whatever diagrams they're drawing. You look at their uh, math scribblings. You're like, hmm, what could they be doing? Right. right. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun to try to imagine the conversations that went around, uh, that went on around those, uh, those scribblings. Um, some of them were just, some of them were just crazy. You know, some of them were just. <laughs> they just yeah, so borderline cool. crazy walls. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Oh, you needed some red. Uh, and we'll we'll post. We'll definitely post some of those in the show notes. Uh, and Matt, I know it's been a while. Mm. Are you prepared to tell the listeners where the show notes live? I think I can do that. That would be at uh, gtradio.net/slash/alyt, and this would be six one, right? Is there another slash? No, six, six two. two. Six oh, two. Damn. I screwed it up. Six two. This is the sixty second episode. So it's. So it's gtradio.net slash A-L-Y-T slash 62. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Yep, that's right. You got it. Got there eventually. Yeah, so we'll we'll put up some of those pictures. Some of them are are, are quite entertaining. I think there was some Pokemon. Pokemon was um, was just was dropped on the unsuspecting world while I was at the Mag Lab. Oh. Um, Tallahassee, a, a big Pokemon town. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I think around college campuses, yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty big deal. There were um, numerous numerous uh, Pokestops and gyms and such uh, around campus. It, it was the densest <laughs> the densest Pokemon area I've uh, I've yet encountered. <laughs> the, while I was there, the director of the Mag Lab had to send out a email about playing Pokemon oh, no. at work. Um, apparently, a an intern wandered into his office, into the director's office, while you know, looking at his phone uh, with like complete situational unawareness, no idea that he had just wandered into the direct, director's office, and I, I and I think wandered out again without even. <laughs> noticing that the director was sitting there staring at him. Um, so an email was sent because, uh, you know, at the MagLab, they have a lot of a lot of big, powerful, and potentially dangerous toys. In fact, our first, uh, our first couple of days were all health and safety. There was a lot of trainings we had to do, and there was, you know, an uh, okay. online health and safety training portal that we had to navigate and complete all these courses and answering all these questions before we could get our badges and then, you know... And then our badges got us access around the building, which was kind of cool. But yeah, the maglab was 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 interesting. I was um, I was paired up with a researcher, um, a FSU physics department guy, and um, all around <laughs> magnet expert, um, whose <laughs> research was primarily in the area of uh, eddy currents. So, like the the induced currents you get in conductive objects when you have varying magnetic fields. A lot of what they do at the MagLab could be broadly uh, classified as imaging of various types. You know, down at the down to the the smallest scales that that humans can achieve. And they they use these you know these incredibly powerful and and sometimes complicated electromagnets for this. You know, like an MRI. They they. The Magnet Lab is home to literally the world's most powerful MRI that, that can, oh, can yeah. be used um, for imaging. And it's a very really ra- uh, valuable research tool because it's a, it's a big bore magnet, meaning you can put, I think, um, I think the, uh, the 
hole in the core of the magnet will accept like a six inch diameter sample holder which is considered very very large a lot of them are you know one inch or or smaller um, and apparently they've even they've put birds and mice in this thing <laughs> um, <laughs> okay to, to, you know look at their brains and but this is the sort of thing where you can see the uh, the blood flowing in the brain and maybe see the it, it, is this a real time situation or uh, like an fMRI they, um, yeah f functional MRI right? I don't know <laughs> I'm not really sure uh, I didn't work in that part of the lab and I, I didn't work with that equipment so most of what I know about that I, I, I got from reading posters on the walls you know they various people's research um, oh, cool you know, but I, I know that they were doing in in vivo uh, observations of, of animals so in vivo, that's in the animal, right? I got that right, I think. Yeah, that's the, in the living organism. Yeah. So, um, pretty sure that's how that works. Yeah. And then, you know, the, uh, looking at the data, they had they these posters would have um, histograms like you would see from a uh, mass spec. But I guess the difference is that with the mass spec, whatever your sample is, is you don't get it back. <laughs> you don't. You, you don't get to. Yeah, it's it's been it's vaporized been and sucked vaporized through a tiny and tube. And, yeah, exactly. So um, I guess that's the use case for this technology versus mass spec, because the, the the data you can get is, is kind of similar. Anyway, if you you know you put your mouse or whatever into a sample holder and you put your sample holder into this incredibly strong magnet with um, you know it's electromagnet, so you can decide which way the field goes. And there are cases where you want to uh, flip. You want to oscillate the field back and forth back and forth back and forth for imaging purposes to you know it, you get these uh, magnetic dipoles uh, at the atomic level that that vibrate and send out a signal of one kind or another that's that's desirable but while you're doing that while you're oscillating the magnetic field if the sample holder is made of metal if it's conductive then currents are generated or induced I should say in the metallic sample holder and that can be a problem if those currents create undesired heating because um, some of these experiments are done in the millikelvin range of temperatures so down oh, there you got you know, 0. 0.00 something kelvin that's pretty cold dude yeah that's about as cold as it gets and uh if your sample holder is heating up because of uh, induced eddy currents it can you know spoil the experiment's environment so um I kind of felt like an idiot, but I felt like I had to say it. I was like, uh, I was like, okay, all right. I think I understand what you're saying. Um, why can't you just make them out of plastic? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. And, and I'm sure you've thought of this, but <laughs> uh, the answer to that question is that um, plastics or composites that they've tried don't have the right thermal properties. So different parts of the sample holder will be at different temperatures and it's critical that everything be at the same temperature so the metal is desirable because of its thermodynamic properties but undesirable because of its conductivity so anyway uh, that's what he researches but what he had us doing was to was trying to use in use induced eddy currents to create a like a maglev effect so we, um, what we were doing was really more engineering than science. And um, so your silly comments about building a hoverboard were not silly. That's actually what you were doing. That's actually what we were doing. Uh, yeah, we, we were we were <laughs> okay. we were told to um, figure out how to design and build 
a working, hovering thing. Um, it wasn't going to be... I mean, we didn't have the time or the budget to build something uh, that a human could actually step on and, and, and hover. Um, but we were... Uh, the inspiration was this this commercial product from a company called Hendo. So I don't know if you've seen the Hendo hoverboard. I've seen that video. Okay. Yeah. And it shows shows and... them um, riding on a big copper half pipe <laughs> because yeah. you have it. It only works if the surface below is uh, conductive. Um, so you you couldn't ride this thing at like a regular concrete skate park. You could you'd have to build a skate park out of copper, which would be insanely expensive. We, we did a little math to, to figure out if we should use copper or aluminum because the aluminum is like an order of magnitude cheaper. Right. But uh, copper was the better choice because of its conductivity and also because of the skin depth. You know about skin depth? I had to learn about this. No. Does that mean you, you need a less thick surface? It, it has to do the with the thick... It has to do with levitating the thickness. Thing? Yeah. Um, turns out that, you know, I, I sort of always naively assume that if you have a, a copper conductor, let's say, and you flow a current through it, that the electrons sort of distribute evenly through this... You know, I, I always think of it, and I teach my students to think of it as a tube, right? Think of a copper conductor as a pipe for current in the same way that pipes might carry a fluid. And in that analogy, you know, I imagine the the all the fluid in this case electrical current traveling equally through all parts of the tube, the conductor. Uh, but yeah. it turns out that because of you know because a lot of this stuff is complicated when you really get into it, um, the uh, electrons <laughs> instead will flow closer to the skin to the outside, and the center of the the conductor might carry no current at all, um, depending on its size. So there's there's this equation, you know, for calculating skin depth for different um, materials, and you have to know the resistivity and the permeability, and you know, you put in a couple of the, you know, like the, the vacuum permeativity of the universe or whatever is in there, and um, you know, uh, all the great constants, and uh, <laughs> you uh, you can you can calculate for a given material, conductive material, how deep into the conductor uh, the electrons will actually flow. And in fact, I, I learned that in uh, high current um, high current conductors, they sometimes make them hollow because there's no current flowing through the center of that thing anyway. So it's cheaper and lighter if if you make it oh, cool. a pipe, like literally a pipe, but <laughs> with nothing in the middle. Or sometimes they'll flow coolant through the middle if they need uh, Yeah. Uh, it, that makes yeah, sense. It does. So anyway, we did the, the math and we figured out copper was the better choice and that a quarter inch of thickness was required, but you know, thicker than that wouldn't be better, but thinner than that would be worse. So our foot square, quarter inch thick copper plate that we ordered from McMaster cost a hundred bucks. You know, so so when you imagine okay. a half pipe out of similar material, like I mean, I'm sure there's some economies of scale there, but it'd be awfully expensive. Um, anyway, Hendo hoverboard, it is a real thing. Um, a lot of people on the internet seem convinced that it's fake, but it's not. Um, it, you know, obviously it has its limitations, but it, it, it looks like a skateboard with four, um, like, round pads at each corner that, that create the, the repulsive force. And... Uh, we did a little research, and what we figured out is that these um, 
at each corner there is an array of magnets in a very specific uh, a very specific arrangement called a Hallbach array um, where the the poles alternate you know north up north down north up north down and in between the up and down ones are sideways ones that focus and concentrate the field in the downward direction basically bending the field around so that none of it goes up all of it goes down um, apparently there's math on this and they functionally double the magnetic field on one side and I, and I still don't understand huh, that cool. and I don't and I got the impression that the professor didn't really understand it either um, you know but anyway um, it's definitely a thing so uh, you you have a, a, a round rotor with this magnet uh, this arrangement of magnets and you spin it and um, it induces currents in the conductive plate underneath and those induced currents have their own magnetic fields that you know lenses law that resist the change in the flux the change in the external magnetic flux and because there's a delay like a lag between the induced currents um, creating the field and it you know dissipating as the magnet moves on basically because it, it, it exists for some period of time and then the, the motion of the magnet above brings the opposing poles together and creates a net upward force not sure if I'm explaining that well, but I've had to explain this many times now, uh, and I've always done it with graphics, so that doesn't re- <laughs> that doesn't work great okay. on the podcast. But um, basically, it creates a you know a repulsive force, like a, a north-to-north magnetic repulsion. Um, but it only works if your rotors are spinning, and um, we Ugh. it seemed like the rate of spin is super important, and so we 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 chose a, a, a direct current motor. That we thought would give us, you know, 10,000 RPMs or so, uh, eight to 10,000 RPMs, um, and then I spent weeks and weeks designing and redesigning and re-re-redesigning the um, the rotor to hold the magnets. Um, originally, I wanted to do a Hallbach array, just like the just like the commercial product, but was shot down because um, because it would double the number of magnets and double the cost. Um, <laughs> in the end. I, I, toward the end of the the experience, I was I was a little bit bitter that like I felt like we hadn't gone with the optimal arrangement, and it was a, you know it seemed like a silly choice based on just trying to save a few bucks when you know we had put all this time into it, and it wasn't you know it 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 kind of looked like it wasn't going to work, <laughs> like it it, it sort of worked when we finally got it all together and and the parts came out of the machine shop and we put the magnets into the holder and assembled the whole thing and it. it came together beautifully. I mean, the parts were just exquisitely crafted by the machine shop. Um, and I, I mean, I just, I, it's nice. It's nice having your own machine. It's nice. Oh, geez. Uh, it was so cool. <laughs> and this is, this is, uh, it's probably the best machine shop in like the region, like in the, the Southeastern United States. This is probably the best oh, machine cool. shop. Um, and the guys there are, are real, real pros. Um, it was it was pretty neat to to see them work and and just to see the array of of tools they have access to, but um, when we put it all together, it, it was creating a repulsive force, but not enough to lift itself. Um, and of course, if it doesn't lift itself, no. then it you know then the it just sits on the plate and the friction would would stop the rotor. Um, so. We we originally had a like a counterweight, so we put a pulley up top and used a a, a counterweight to um, you know basically make it lighter to cancel some of the weight 
Um, but I, I found that pretty unsatisfying, right? Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's cheating, right? Um, yeah, sure. You know, the thing is supposed to lift itself. Um, How much did the thing weigh once it was all together? Uh, it started out at close to, uh, it was over half a kilo. It was 580 grams or something. Um, so, you know, that's over a pound. Um, now, <laughs> the Hendo hoverboard can lift itself and its batteries and a human being. So, like, they're getting a lot more repulsion. And initially, I thought that might be due to the um, to the, uh, the the Hallbach array, whereas we had gone with a simple up-down, up-down arrangement instead of the up-over-down-over-up-over-down-over over, down, over, up, over, down, over Hallbach arrangement. Um, and, you know, and like I said, I was a little bit bitter that it didn't seem like I was going to get to test that idea, but I did at the last minute get to redesign the rotor for a Hallbach arrangement, and um, the machine shop guy was, you know, he he actually stayed um, after work, because his boss wouldn't let him spend any more time on our stupid project when they have, you know, they got to use those cycles for uh, <laughs> for the, the real science stuff, you know? Okay. Um, so he, but he stayed after work because his wife and kid were out of town or something, so he didn't have to go home. And he stayed um, on his own time and machined a new rotor for me with the the slots rearranged for the Hallbach arrangement. Um, so I did get to test it, and it was not an improvement. So oh. <laughs> hypothesis busted. But um, in the end, it, it did end up supporting itself. Uh, we did extensive lightning. Um, we got it down to around 280 grams, so we basically cut the weight in half. Um, and the, the the curious part, uh, and you know, my professor I was working with said, you know, this is this is research. This is how it goes. Um, the curious part is we don't really understand what changed in order to, you know, because like one day it wasn't working unless we had 150 grams of counterweight to to help lift it. And then we were playing with it, and we so we we started chasing you know different ideas like well what if we took half the magnets out of the rotor so instead of eight magnets what if we we dropped to to four and that created a noticeable improvement in the amount of lift we were getting um, we were able to get the counterweight down to just like fifty grams when we took half the magnets away which is a little bit counterintuitive but um, the I think what we think the explanation for that is is that the um, the induced currents are proportional to the frequency of the pole reversal of the spinning magnets overhead, and by taking half the magnets away, we would have cut the magnitude of the currents rough you know in half. But our real problem was power loss. Um, we were getting this eddy current breaking effect that the 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 work of pushing the electrons around in the plate was taking energy away from the spinning rotor, right? There's, it's a Lenz's law repulsion thing, you know, it's a no free energy kind of thing. So uh-huh. um, that was creating this braking effect, which was slowing down the rotor, and the slower the rotor goes, the less current, and, the, you know, the lift goes away, and so it's a, you know, it's a, a negative feedback loop that just basically slows the rotor until it can't create enough lift to lift itself, and then it falls, and then, you know, and then the lift is gone. So, um, we, by taking half the magnets away, we halved the current we were we were inducing, but power scales with the square of current. So we might have cut our um, 
cut our current in half, but we cut our power loss by a factor of four. So we came out ahead. Like that's how we think. <laughs> that's what we think happened. Um, we don't, <laughs> I'd be lying if I said we were certain, but it makes sense on paper. You know, I don't know if that made, explanation yeah. made sense to you, but um, on paper it made sense. Um, but what we what we don't understand was why. So we have these metal guide rails, and we'll put some pictures in show notes if if my explanations aren't doing this justice. We have these metal guide rails to to hold it in place, because like the actual Hendo hoverboard has four of these rotors, one at each corner, so the torques cancel. You know what I mean? The torque from the spinning rotor. But we, okay. we were building just one. We were essentially replicating just a single oh. corner. So it has to have something to keep it from keep the motor from spinning, right? You want the rotor to spin and the motor to be stationary. Stationary. But of course, yeah. if you just have it on a desk and turn it on, both parts are going to spin. So we had to cancel that torque with guide rails. So we had these metal guide rails. They were stainless steel, uh, threaded into our copper plate, um, and we had an aluminum top plate to tie the top together so originally we had four rails and the idea was that the thing would slide up and down on these rails and it would allow it to hover but keep it from twisting and there was an aluminum hat at the top uh, that tied it all together and kept things perpendicular and stuff or kept the rods parallel Um, we we took that metal thing off we had to take it off every time we wanted to do another change I would you know take off all the little nuts and take the little metal top hat off and pull, pull the dingus out of its little rails and um, make a change and then put it all back together and just because we were impatient we tried it without the aluminum top hat so rather than putting the, you know taking the time to put the nuts and and reconnect the, the thing the way we had designed it we just like well let's just set it on the bench and let's just try this real quick to see if this change has made a difference and without that metal piece tying the rails together there was another dramatic increase in lift and so we're thinking, huh, well, maybe some of the induced currents are traveling up through this tower of metal rather than being staying down there in the copper plate where we want them. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe, right? But so the easy test of that hypothesis would be, okay, we take a, you know, what if we reconnect these rails? That should kill the lift. So we had the thing now with no counterweight hovering, and we, you know, restored the electrical connection between the rails and no just it hovers just fine it didn't take didn't take the lift away <laughs> so whether you know we couldn't we couldn't get it back to sucking again like it had stopped sucking and we couldn't make it suck again like we we tried to put it back together the way it had been originally and it still worked great and like we so we don't know why it went <laughs> why That's so it weird. all of a sudden became more powerful um you know you can hear the motor isn't spinning any faster you know you're still you're still getting that drag effect that eddy current braking effect um but all of a sudden it was able to lift itself and and you know so the day of the poster presentation the last day of the thing um you know i had it on a cart there in front of my poster and i could switch it on and boing you know it would... so so you presented the poster yeah yeah it's your poster cool yeah i got to keep it too it's up in my classroom it's awesome you, the whole shebangabang, all the hardware and everything you get. To I keep? got to keep that too, as it turns out. So, like from from the beginning, they were very clear that if we build this dingus, it's staying here at the mag lab. Like you don't get to keep it. I'm like okay, you know, understood. Um, there's a few hundred bucks worth of parts and you know all that time and engineering in there. Um, but on the day of the on the day of the poster presentation, the uh, the director of the lab was there, um, and, and a lot of the scientists from the lab came to 
to walk around and look at the different teams posters and ask questions and stuff it, it, it was neat you know it really felt um felt like we were part of the science world you know it was it was cool um and the director was there and he came he's like can i can i see it and I absolutely switched it on and you know it hovers and um and he thought it was just the bee's knees like he, he thought it was the coolest <laughs> thing and my professor was there and he was he jumped on you know, jumped on the guy. He's like, so if you think this is cool, um, would you be, do you think you could find funds to make a 2.0 version of this? Because we have ideas for, uh, for, you know, making this again and, you know, more powerful and, and, you know, um, and he said, yeah, I think, uh, this could be a great demo. I, I, I think we could find the money for that. And he, and he, and so my professor said, everybody heard that, right? He, he looks at like, <laughs> you heard him say it. We have witnesses. Um, and he said, so in that case, would it, could, Matt take the 1.0 version back to his school, and the guy was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll buy that for him." And uh, oh wow, and, cool! And so I, you know, I was completely surprised, and uh, you know, thrilled really, because now I get to demonstrate this for my kids. Um, and the the uh, the professor he said he said this is the uh, the top passing grade that your summer project can get basically at the mag lab is uh, the. Uh, Score more funding right. for the lab. Is the, the director agreeing to to buy it for you? Um, That's cool. So yeah, that was that that was neat. So yeah, I have it in my classroom. <laughs> um, you know, I just had to connect the power supply when I you know got it home, and it uh, it it works just fine. So yeah, the the 2.0 version. If we were going to do it again, we would just just crank up the power. I mean, the the motor we we chose is uh, nominally rated at like 24 watts, but there are um, DC motors out there for electric airplanes that um, are, are up to 1,200 watts for a similar mass and size. They get 1,200 watts out of these things. I don't know how they do it, and they they some of these things pull like 60 amps, which which Whoa. is terrifying if you think about it. Um, but somehow to get this kind of power out of you know something smaller than your fist, but um, yeah, if we were that's what what we would do because it just needed more power to overcome the 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 drag effect, the the, the eddy current breaking effect in order to keep the repulsion up. Um, so yeah, the the motors that they use in the in the real deal in the Hendo hoverboard must be crazy powerful. Huh. All right, so I'm, it's cool that it worked in the end. Um, mm-hmm. For a second there, it was it was sounding yeah. like you were uh, you weren't going to get any sort of satisfaction. Man, I was I, I was pretty bummed at one point. Um, you know, when it was so exciting when all the parts were finally in my hands. You know, they finally, finally, finally came out of the machine shop. Um, because I had spent you know weeks and weeks and weeks, just hours and hours and hours doing the CAD for these parts and then when I finally had them in my hand it was so exciting and they all went together so beautifully and it was um, you know just everything was so meticulously crafted uh, and then we put it all together and you know wah wah <laughs> you know, in my head I had this image of the thing jumping off the table it was hovering so well and instead you know anyway but we yeah the, the end of the story was was good so we, we, we got it got it functioning and, and I got to keep it alright and <laughs> one of my questions for you is there's always something in 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 a project like this that's supposed to take an afternoon yes and you know turns into a doctoral thesis <laughs> <laughs> so what, what what was that you know oh it should just take a day but end up taking all summer and that would for sure be the uh the cad portion of the 
the project. Um, I, I've done a little CAD before, but nothing, nothing like this. And um, if my my meager skills were uh, constantly tested. Um, and then, and, and a lot of parts just got redesigned so many times before they got made. Uh, and thinking about it now, it's it's difficult for me to even understand myself why that was. Um, you know, in the end, it seems like such a simple, elegant design that we landed on. Like, I don't know why we didn't start there. <laughs> I guess that's maybe that seems like a naive thing to say. I, I'm sure any engineers listening uh, are chuckling because um, that's 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 their life. But um, yeah, there were. I, I guess if I was going to pin it down to a single piece, the the one piece that got redesigned more than any other was this super simple bit of metal, you know, this machine bit of stainless, which was threaded uh, inside on both ends. I think it was threaded, it was actually threaded all the way through, but it, you know, it, it was, it was like the shaft extension that united the shaft of the motor itself to the rotor, which held the magnets. The magnets, okay. And it was just the simplest thing in the world, um, and it got redesigned more than any other part, probably. Um, was it you making these design changes, or are they coming yeah, from the well, professor? Both. Um, a, a lot of it was feedback from the machinists. Like, you know, we took them our designs, and they they would say, <laughs> they would say, "Great, I can't do that." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's not that's not a good idea for for whatever reason. Like this is, oh, okay. um, you know, this is uh, we can't machine it that thin, or this isn't going to be strong enough, or. Um, you know, originally we were going to use a nut that had to be recessed, and they said, "Yeah, no, that's going to be that's going to going to make this part too uh, fragile." So we had to use different. You know, they suggested different kinds of fasteners, and um, it, it was just on and on and on. Um, and then you know, but by the end, so like the first the first time I sat down to do some CAD, um, I spent I, this is it sounds so stupid. I spent. Um, probably an hour just trying to learn how to draw a circle <laughs> like just a circle <laughs> you know and then to turn that circle into a disc like that took another hour <laughs> I mean okay but then by the end like I sat down to redesign the rotor entirely for the Hallbach arrangement um, and it was the most complicated thing I had done yet because now I had to do these um, these disc shaped extrusions in a different plane so you know perpendicular to the plane of the rotor if that makes sense so basically to do them sideways to take these yeah, dish shaped magnets so. and turn them sideways within the rotor so some of them were still going to be up and down and others were going to be sideways so you know I had to do this revolve cut thing and then camphor the edges so that because the, the, the magnets weren't um, they had you know slightly rounded shoulders so all of that had to be designed in and uh, it, and it broke through the part into you know the top and bottom um, oh wow! But it had to be captive, right? It couldn't. The magnets can't go flying out. So anyway, it was super complicated, and I was able to do that in you know this is in week six, and I was able to do that design in I don't know uh, an hour, hour and a half. Cool. Um, yeah, and you know it was one of those things where as my as my skill grew, I learned all these new tricks, and I was constantly learning how much time I had wasted like previously. <laughs> you know, like every day I was discovering, oh, you know that that thing you did yesterday, had you done it this way, it would have taken 10 minutes instead of an hour. <laughs> and I had that experience every single day. Um and I imagine if I was 
designing something with CAD right now, I would still be having that experience because it seems like, you know, there is no bottom. Like you can, your expertise could grow infinitely, indefinitely. Yeah. So what what was your experience like using such serious enterprise type software? Um, pretty good. I mean, everything worked pretty well. Um, I, you know, some stuff, there was a, a pretty tough ramp in, uh, learning curve for, for some things, but, um, then other things were surprisingly easy. Like when I, when I had made the shaft extension piece and the two different halves of the rotor that, that come together and sandwich the magnets in between them, um, I then was like, you know, just for the hell of it, because I had a little time, like, let me take all three of these parts and make an assembly, you know, digitally speaking. They didn't exist in the real world yet. They're just, you know, digital parts. <laughs> so, so I was able have to the pro- have the program assemble them. Exactly. So I was able to, you know, okay. throw them into a new, uh, I hadn't ever tried an assembly before, but I was able to bring in the files, each of which was its own file, but then, you know, unite them and even do things like add screws where there would be screws. You would open up a library of screw types. And I uh. could find the exact screws that we had ordered, you know, the, like the exact same ones, same thread and length and whatever. And I could put the screws in and it would tell me if the threads were the right depth or if the screw wouldn't go in all the way. And I, I mean, it was it was pretty neat. It was pretty powerful stuff. Cool. Are you going to ever be able to uh, use that again? Or would you have to pay a $10,000 seat license for some AutoCAD, AutoCAD software to do it again? Well, actually, the... The company um, Autodesk is the the company, and they um, make one of their products, which is called Fusion 360. Um, they make it available freely to anyone in education. So if you're a student or a teacher, um, high school or college or whatever, um, you can have their product for free for three years, and then you can just apply for a new uh, another license. So I've got that on this machine here. Um, I, I, it's also Mac compatible, which the other one is not. Uh, the, oh, the one I nice. actually used at the lab was called um, uh, Inventor. Um, it was Inventor 2016. This one is called Fusion 360. And the guys at the machine shop said, yeah, you, you know, start learning Fusion 360 because that's where everybody's headed. You know, Inventor is still what the Maglab is using a lot, but he said everybody's headed to... The 360 anyway and so i you know i have that on my own machine i haven't really played with it much but it, it's pretty pretty similar cool yeah it's, yeah it's i cool. think i've run across a few times autodesk now uh, doing doing some pretty cool things with their with their licenses and not being so closed off about everything yeah they, it seems super generous they used to be seem seem like kind of an evil evil giant software company but uh oh, yeah that's that seems to be gone there. Like you said, if you know they're giving you a decent deal on good software, then yeah, I mean it was yeah, it's powerful stuff. I um I don't know when I'll get around to using uh to using it again. Maybe I should uh CAD the the uh the wing design for my tricycle. There you go. Hmm. Put some fins on it, Matt. There you go. Yeah. We also we also did a little bit of 3D printing. It it was funny how the machine shop was all everything was in standard units, so everything was in inches, you know, and then um, the 3D printer guys need everything in millimeters. So because you know different different rooms, different parts of the building, um, 
but it, it was pretty cool to be able to email someone a file and then, you know, the next day they're like, yep, come pick up your part. Oh, that's that, nice. That, that was pretty cool. That, that felt like living in the future. <laughs> yeah. We probably could have gotten away with 3D printing the uh, the magnet holder rotor itself, but we went with a, a machinable material instead because we were afraid at the at 10,000 RPMs that the printing printer media might not be robust enough. And we thought there might be a safety issue, but I, I thinking about uh, it now, I think it would have been okay. But yeah, that was the maglab. I played some Pokemon. Um, <laughs> didn't have much else to do. So. <laughs> Are you are you sad it was uh, more engineering and less theoretical stuff? Initially, I was like for for some of the the time I was there, I felt that way. Um, in the end, it got really exciting. You, you can probably tell from my description, you know, that like the last week was where we were, you know, cranking on this thing uh, every day, trying to trying to make it work better that that all got pretty exciting especially since it you know it paid off in the end but there was there was a period where i was a little um a little disappointed to be doing all of this you know because it was basically just cad like all all the time <laughs> um just hours and hours um and then when i wasn't designing or redesigning something in in uh inventor it was waiting you know, it was just waiting. Hopefully, the machine shop will get to it today, or maybe they'll get to it tomorrow. Maybe they'll get to it the next day. And um, but the, the and that did give me the opportunity to um, to uh, insert myself into a couple of other people's projects. Uh, the, you know, to just you know sit in with a couple other teams and just see what they were doing. There was a, a team working on uh, crystal growing crystals. And pulling crystals out of this uh, microwave furnace at you know 1600 degrees or whatever um, they had a, this this rod this very slowly rotating rod that spun almost imperceptibly and and raised at a pre-programmed rate of like one centimeter per hour to, okay. to try to pull a crystal out of this molten uh, slurry of of you know silicone doped with something I don't know so there was the, what, are they, the what are they doping with these days? Galadium or oh, you know, all the all the best doping. Molyb molybdenum. <laughs> sure, sure, we'll go with that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. When I was over at the Applied Semiconductor Building, there was a um, there was a lot of uh, Bysmith. Would talk about uh, you know two two one two and versus two two one zero. I think these are different. I don't know if they were alloys or um, or, or what, but uh, over at the applied uh, semiconductor area, there was another team basically working on on wires for um, uh, I, I said applied semiconductor, didn't I? I meant superconductor. No. Oh. Yeah, they were working on. That's on, very different. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were working on uh, superconducting wires and um, you know trying different combinations of heat and pressure treatment to densify the wires um, to just, you know, make them better superconductors. Uh, and that was pretty interesting because I, I got to uh, play a little bit with um, the scanning electron microscope, Ooh. which is a, a pretty fancy toy. Uh, that, that, was, that was pretty neat. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing to examine anything at that scale, you know. 
Um, even if something mundane uh, like a wire is, it's pretty fascinating when you can <laughs> can look at it at uh, ten thousand times magnification or something. Uh, it's pretty neat. And the SEM had a um, a feature that worked a lot like a mass spec, where while you were imaging it, it, it could uh, interpret the electrons scattering off of the surface of whatever you were you were imaging. It could interpret those scattered electrons in such a way as to tell you what uh, elements were there in what proportions, the same way a mass spec would. It would give you that same, oh, cool. same kind of histogram while you were looking at it in real time. You could put your mouse pointer on a portion of the image on the screen, and it would tell you specifically what the what atoms were at that location. Oh wow! So they could find the impurities in their wires exactly. that way. Exactly, because so you could. Oh, cool. You could, you know, I asked the the guy um, Maxime, um, this this young uh, French guy, who was uh, in charge of this experiment. I asked him, you know, he was saying, yeah, you see here that this coloration is the two two one two, and this coloration is uh, is is the silver. Um, and I was like, how do you, how do you know that? He's like, well, I know that because. I'm an expert, and I've been looking at these things for, for hundreds and hundreds of hours. Uh, but, I sit here and do this all day. Right. He said, but if you didn't know that, you'd use this tool right here. And he showed me that thing, and it just blew my mind. The thing that just, well, literally, you put your mouse pointer on something, and it tells you what atoms they are. That's amazing to me. Um, <laughs> it's pretty damn amazing. Yeah. And there were, there, you know, I had a, a bunch of experiences like that. So that, 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 was, that was pretty cool. There was another team working on um, LEDs because um, that the way we make LEDs right now is uh, not very cost-effective. So there's a, a big push in the industry to come up with a, uh, a, a cheaper, more efficient way of making LEDs. And um, this team is, uh, apparently they're right, right knocking on the door uh, of a big breakthrough. So that seemed like it was probably pretty exciting work. Although she, the, the one woman from our team, um, the one teacher who was working with them, she probably worked harder than any of us. So, oh, wow. you know, she, she was, she was doing a lot of heavy legwork for that team. Um, whereas by comparison, well, I really wasn't that busy. Okay. Um, you know, like, uh, like if they nail that, that's going to be uh, big money for the university for patents and stuff. Yeah. That's the, that's the goal. Um, apparently LEDs as they're made now, you need a kind of a super clean environment in which to manufacture them. So they're, they're made in clean rooms and stuff. And um, they're trying to find a this, way to do it dirty, basically. So <laughs> it's a lot like making a microchip, but from my understanding. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're, they, they have come up with a, a quick and dirty sort of uh, approach that, um, that may become the industry standard because it'll be a lot cheaper. It won't, you, you won't require as, as fancy of equipment or as cool. meticulous of an em environmental control. So um, Light emitting dirtiness. Exactly. I like it. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's good. So you said on the show, mm -hmm. I think you said on the show, uh, you were looking forward to this, or maybe it was when you were first considering doing this. Like this was going to be some of the hard science that you might have missed out on. In, yeah. In, in college or your earlier studies, mm -hmm. did it uh, did it scratch that itch for you? Yeah, it did. I, I think that it may have scratched that itch a bit better had I been uh, just had I been working with one of the teams that was doing real research um, as opposed to what we were doing, which is you know like basically engineering a little demo. Um, but yeah, especially the days where I went and um, 
worked with the SEM or um, you know hung out and just hung out with the crystal in the crystal growth lab and just asked questions <laughs> all day um, and everybody was so everybody was so nice but yeah for sure it 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 scratched that itch uh, and I'm probably gonna go back I, I was invited back so uh, you know assuming that nothing um, nothing changes between now and then I'll, I'll probably do it again next summer oh cool yeah, and it'll be it'll be different. Like I, I don't know if I if I'll be working with the same mentor or if I'll I'll wind up working with someone else most likely. And you know, the professor I worked with, uh, he asked at the end, you know, what do you think? Would you rather have done, like, you know, an engineering project like this, or would you rather have have worked with us on our on our research? Because he, you know, he had his grad students there, doing <laughs> something that involved just staring at a monitor for hours and hours and hours every day um <laughs> mostly things not working the way they wanted to uh, you know i would ask there was a young man called giovanni and i, and I would say anything today giovanni any no nothing today. Oh. like just hours and hours and hours of recalibrating this this experiment that uh just wasn't working i think the entire six weeks i was there it didn't work so had i been working on that that might have actually sucked. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, it's probably for the best that I got to build my little toy instead. But yeah, just 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 being there and and living on the campus was was kind of neat. It was kind of fun to pretend like I was in college. Um, <laughs> so, were you like it? Were you in a dorm room? Oh yeah, this whole time. Yeah, I was in the oh. dorm. Um, I had I, I shared it with uh, another teacher, another participant, but we had uh, we we had. We shared a common area and a kitchen, but we had our own bedrooms, so it was it was fine. You know, it was uh, it was uh, it was good. Did you have the building to yourself otherwise, or were there lots of other people around? There were other people in our program staying on the same floor, um, and there were other people. So as well as the RETs, which is the Research Experience for Teachers, there were also REUs for undergrads, and um, so the REUs have a longer summer, so their program is longer. I think theirs was maybe ten weeks. And uh, so they had already been there a couple of weeks when we got there and uh, were staying longer. So there were some of them on our floor. And then um, the building would periodically fill up for a couple of days with, uh, for example, a bunch of cheerleaders who were there for a cheerleading (laughs) camp. (laughs) Okay. You know, or a bunch of... um, you know, uh, young female softball players who were there for softball camp, and then it was volleyball camp, and then it was basketball camp, and then it was, you know, so it was, there was a constantly rotating assortment of young people there for various camps throughout the summer. Uh, so there was always people coming and going, um, and it was, you know, it was, a, it was a, a lively atmosphere. And most of the, most of the people in our program were, were, were great, um, there were these there there were several Puerto Rican women who could really cook like their cooking was outstanding um, and they were very generous and would, would make food for us all the time uh, and of course I basically devolved into you know full-on bachelor existence right like, so the most <laughs> okay. the most elaborate thing I I made for myself was a frozen pizza um, you know I was I was eating that sort of thing uh, and then you know going out uh, fairly often, as I'm wont to do, but uh, you know, it was it was all right. We had to had to uh, 
it, it was I <laughs> I got to uh, experience drinking illegally again. I, I'm a little old for drinking illegally. You, uh, but... Yes, aren't you old to be drinking illegally? Yeah, um, but we had to had to sneak around a bit uh, because it was you know no alcohol was allowed in the dorms. Oh, okay. I, I don't I don't know how serious of a thing that was, but you know it seemed best to be discreet. Sure. Since uh, I didn't 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 want to flout the rules, but uh... but yeah, it was a it was an interesting way to spend a summer. And Tallahassee's not so bad. Um, the director of the RET program, he and his wife are uh, maniac uh, mountain bikers. They're fanatics. Uh, they had probably, I want to say, eight bikes at least in their home. Whoa. And uh, so they, they were super generous in, in terms of um, inviting us into their homes and, and also uh, taking us out for excursions. So we had, you know, we went tubing. Uh, one Saturday, they, they took us to that, uh, and you know, then we had a, a mountain biking. Uh, they borrowed uh, some other bikes, some like not so nice bikes for the the rest of the teachers. Um, but because we had already had a couple of conversations, he's like, no, 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 you'll want to ride my bike. Here, oh, you, you, okay. You, you ride this one, uh, and he had a, a Niner uh, hardtail, which was really great. Uh, so we went we mountain biking that time with the the, the gang, and you know, everybody else was super super slow, and and he stayed with the group. So I just went off ahead, and I did two laps of the trail while everybody else was doing one. Um, but and so then you know he's like, well, you obviously uh, you obviously would be up for a harder ride. Why don't you come uh, with our regular Thursday night crew? I'm like, okay. So I went with he and his uh, other fanatic friends and holy crap they were fast uh, it was it was tough to keep up with them but um but man i really really loved that bike i think there's a there's a good chance that i will be buying my own mountain bike because i don't currently have a functional one so i'm thinking i'm thinking this year i'm gonna get myself a a nice mountain bike so that next summer if i go back i'll go with my own bike and i'll be able to ride with with them again um, yeah. That was that was the best thing I did while I was there was the the biking and I just I really yeah it's been a long time but I used to ride mountain bikes uh, I never had a I never had a really great one but um, uh, yeah it's been a while since I've even owned one and uh, I think I I think I want one and get back into it what I was thinking I wanted to do was was buy a frame and then uh, take a you know take six months or whatever to acquire all the parts and, and build it myself with all, you know, sexy high-end components. But uh, I started pricing it out and uh, I think that's going to be prohibitively expensive. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that to do it that way, to, uh, to, to build it to the standard I want, I would end up spending, I, I don't know, $3,800 or something crazy. Okay. Um, I wasn't sure if you were going to say something in five figures just then. No, no. I, I mean, you, you could certainly, you could easily spend five figures building a mountain bike, but I, I, that's not an option for me. Um, the, uh, one of the, uh, Judy, uh, the Jose's husband, Jose and Judy were the, um, our hosts at the Mag Lab, and they, um, she had just finished building her newest bike, and she works at a bike shop. So they get everything at cost, and she—I'm—I'm I'm pretty sure that was a five-figure 
build uh, on her, her new ride. But I guess what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to just keep watching Craigslist and wait for the right secondhand bike to come along, and I'm hoping to get um, maybe a Specialized or a uh, or a Niner. I, you know, I really like that Niner. Um, definitely going to get one with 29-inch wheels, or maybe the 27.5 plus. I, mean, I don't know if, if you've seen these bikes with these uh, insanely wide tires. They're like six inches wide. Have you seen one of these mountain bikes? No. With six, that's, six inch wide tires. So they that look sounds like, weird. They are. They, they look weird, but cool. And I took one out and tried it. At um, I went to the bike shop where Judy worked and tried out a couple of things. And they had a little trail behind the bike shop for you to try. And and I tried one of these plus bikes. And I, you know, you, you it it looks like it would be sort of dim witted and and slow, but it doesn't. It didn't feel it didn't feel lingerous at all. It it felt normal and it would just roll over anything it was incredible <laughs> you know i could just ride over a curb without hardly even feeling it so um i don't know that's that's the sort of thing i'm looking for but don't know what i'll end up end up getting got a few big ticket purchases in mind for this year i think i'm gonna need to replace this computer um so i'm hoping a new macbook pro comes out soon mm-hmm should be this month, hopefully. You'll yeah, get that good news. That's what the Mac Rumor site said. So uh, hopefully, yeah. this thing. I was doing a little work project on this computer, um, rewriting yet another exam because somebody leaked it to the internet. But uh, the the thing just kind of just died on me, like with a clunk. Like you could hear the spinning drive clunk, and the thing just went black. And you know, and it, it it was it was plugged in and charging, and it just died and it came back and I didn't you know I, I didn't lose more than a, a couple of minutes worth of work um but it really made me nervous <laughs> like yeah. you know what I'm gonna sync everything to Dropbox now and uh which I did um and uh you know hope for the best but it's it, it's it's working now and it's only done that that one time but it feels like it's gonna need replacing and I also need to put new wheels on my truck so those are my three big ticket uh, items: mountain bike, new shoes for the truck, and a new MacBook. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an expensive year. Yeah, I got nothing. Well, you've got. I'm here. I'm talking to you on a work laptop. <laughs> <laughs> you've got uh, you've got babies. Any uh, any baby updates to share with the listeners? Oh geez, uh, they're huge. Right. They're now uh, 19 months old. Um, they're talking. Oh, indeed. So that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So how, how you know not not like full sentences really, but uh, lots of words. Baby baby A is picking up multiple words every day. It's kind of scary. Wow. So if you had to ballpark baby A's vocabulary, what would you? That's probably mm, a pretty hard question. It's like fifty to seventy-five words, I would guess. Oh, okay. Um, they're both really rocking the animal noises right now. It's very cute. <laughs> Um, Baby B's not quite as uh, talkative, but uh, he'll he'll surprise you every now and again. So that's been good. So do you uh, were there uh, discernible first words, or is it is it does it happen more organically than that? Is it like sounds fade into uh, words? Or, so first words were mostly oh no and no. <laughs> 
they were very negative for quite a while. Like now they've just started nodding and saying yes sometimes. I, I'm um, pretty sure then, no was my first word. Uh, that's <laughs> according to my mom. So yeah. I think that might be a and common then, one. I think mom and dad came fairly soon after that. But yeah, it was it was kind of a slow slide into it, so it's really hard to pin down really what the you know first word yeah, that, was. That makes sense to me. the The idea of there being a like a, a hard line between talking and not talking doesn't really make much sense, right? It's gonna it's gonna develop in a sort of gradual and continuous way, not not go from a zero to a one. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I've seen, and uh, for some reason, baby B is uh, better at talking in the morning hmm. so when he's rested he'll he'll talk a little bit more and uh it has been interesting at night to instead of just random screaming there you know sometimes i'll hear dada from the next room oh man so well that's pretty exciting i mean i, I it's got to be a big change when you get to start talking to them you know yeah yeah uh it's it's been nice yeah it seems like that would be cool all right so language development yeah and and all kinds of more experiments you can do now because you know you got more kinds of data you can collect yeah i need to find that book again that's around here somewhere (laughs) the baby experiments book yeah experiments on babies that's great yeah you should you should definitely be experimenting on them I mean, since you can do twin studies. <laughs> Not really, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, give them both clocks and send one up in a rocket ship. There you go. Um, I like where your head's at. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not a Falcon 9, though. Oh, ooh. ooh. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you actually... Matt had me watch that video right before recording. We'll link that in the show notes, too, I guess. Yeah, that was an unfortunate... Uh, an unfortunate failure. No one was hurt. What do you think? Do you think that there's just a an unavoidable base failure rate in spaceflight? Yeah, I do. Um, I think so too. Any any machine that complicated with that much, uh, you know, explosive fuel Chem- on board, energy. like yeah, it's just. I think there's there's got to be a rate and. We just haven't seen it previously because everything was so over-engineered and government-funded that, you know, there was no reason to get close to that line. Yeah. So. And I think their cycles are pretty fast, right? That this, they're trying to move much more quickly than, than NASA would. Yeah, and that that's, that's the, the advantage that, private industry has over over the NASA. Right. Right. Yeah, unfortunate setback, but um, I'm sure I'm sure we we've we're gonna see a lot more amazing stuff from them. They, I mean, they've been on kind of a roll. So this was the they have been on a roll. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I like the amazing the other type of amazing stuff. Yeah, not the... this is not my favorite kind of SpaceX video to watch, but uh, much rather watch them uh, do a hover slam landing on a drone ship or something like yeah. that. It's just fun to say drone ship. It is drone ship. So let's see, what else is getting going on? I guess that was our space follow-up. Space, space. It's a thin line between rocket and bomb. Mm, yeah. 
my uh, my partner's getting a new car. It's pretty exciting. That's cool. Yeah, she uh, had ordered a bespoke BMW, which is being uh, being built fancy for car. her. Yes, being built for her in Germany as we speak. And ride the boat. My goodness. Uh huh. Yeah, we uh we we were thinking of doing the European delivery thing, which has always been a dream of mine, but she ended up getting a better deal. Uh, than she could get through European delivery. So uh, European delivery is like a 7% discount, and we were able to get a better deal than that anyway. So it would have cost more. But but yeah, it uh, should be here by the end of this month. And of course she had to uh, order it custom-built to get the uh, manual transmission. Oh. Because nobody orders them that way. <laughs> yeah, they're really facing those out. Yeah, I know. I, if I were buying a new, you know, BMW or whatever, I don't know which way I'd go. It would be a hard choice, you know, because I, I, it's it's the Luddite choice, you know, the three pedal manual transmission is it's, it's been completely obviated by technology, like, but, it's also you know, obviously a sentimental favorite of mine. Like I, I prefer driving a three pedal <laughs> manual. Um, but I know that it would it doesn't make the car better not anymore it used to um, it used to be the only choice for the for an enthusiast but uh, the modern automatics are just better so you know what do you do I don't know I, I don't know which choice I would make I'm kind of glad that that my partner went the way she did and got the traditional manual uh, but you know next time around that may not even be an option yeah it's true so cars cars these days yeah cars all right i think i think i need to go and be be pummeled by babies for a little while awesome <laughs> yeah all right i just heard him heard him get back my uh my podcasting environs quiet podcasting environs have just gotten noisier well, there's a i don't know if you can hear it but there's a dog over my shoulder that's snoring I've seen her pop up. I can't. I couldn't hear her snoring, but I've seen her pop up in the frame a couple times. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm 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 gonna lay down because I do not feel right. All right. But um, the important thing is that we did something instead of nothing. You see. That is true. The hardest part of doing it is just doing it. So um, <laughs> I think we should. Uh, I think we should get back to doing this more often. Yeah, that'd be good. We'll get our get our uh, get our feet back under us and get some of that uh, that old uh, roll back. Yeah. All right, but get our mojo back. Yeah. So, listeners, hopefully there'll be more episodes coming soon, and um, and maybe your hosts will, uh, will will remember how to be entertaining. <laughs> I feel like I'm not quite there today. <laughs> <laughs> but enjoy the babies and uh, and the three day weekend. All right. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you.